Welcome to the MacGyver Newsmakers podcast. My name is Abby Debelak. We're joined today by three women whose children go to the school district of Waukesha, and we'll be talking about their concerns over the state of virtual education in their schools. So I'm here with Stacy, Kelly, and Rebecca, parents with children in the school district of Waukesha who were concerned about the virtual education their children were receiving in the district and decided to take action and look into the data behind why their children were still at home doing virtual education instead of in the classroom. So my first question to you guys is, what made you first decide to take an interest in pursuing the data behind student success in the virtual classroom environment? So this is Rebecca. I have two high school girls in the district. One is a senior and the other is a sophomore. Um, My oldest has three AP classes this year. And in past years, she's usually the one that helps other students. But this year, she began reaching out and asking others for help. Um, For the first time ever, we discussed getting her a tutor. My youngest was also struggling. She was meeting one-on-one with her teachers during her lunches and study halls almost every day that she was allowed into the building. Um, And even with this extra help, both my girls' grades were lower than we've ever seen before. So after the November meeting, when the school board made the decision to extend the two-day hybrid model through the end of January, I started talking to a group of parents directly and on social media about the struggles um, their children were also having in the hybrid model. Our board members were adamant that the hybrid and virtual model works and repeatedly said it would just make our kids more resilient. So it was this constant back and forth between the parents and the board, it works, no, it doesn't work, yes, it works. So being an analyst by profession, I realized that we needed some proof. So at that point in late November, I sent my first um, open records request for the performance data. And then Stacy and Kelly, did you guys have any follow-ups on that? What were, you, what were your initial thoughts that made you want to take action? I would add, you know, from very early on um, in the decision to move to hybrid, we had been approaching board members and administration to really watch the outcomes for the students. And um, the response that we consistently got was it really wasn't, wasn't a good time or the priority was someplace else. And so as parents, we were kind of forced to watch that needle move and we felt like we didn't have enough information uh, to have the informed conversation. So that's really what motivated us to go a step further. Uh, Yes, and I I would add that, you know, we all knew in our our guts that it wasn't working. Um, You know, all the parents we talked to, their kids were struggling. grades were lower. But like Rebecca said, we needed concrete proof because the what we were hearing from the school board was not everyone on the school board, I, I want to clarify, but some some on the school board were saying virtual works just great. Um, they would have students come in and speak and which were amazing students but there would always be these follow-up questions to validate that virtual was working and it was just fine. And like I said, we all knew in our gut, it wasn't, we just needed to show it on paper. Right. So then how, how cooperative, I know you guys talked on this a little bit, but how cooperative were the school administrators were with you in getting this information? You know, were they helpful? Were they hesitant? How, how did that process work and that open records request? 
So it, it was difficult to get the information from the administration. Um, they did not seem interested in providing it to us easily. So the first response to my request was the invoice for the $531. So that was early December. And I went back and forth with him for a few weeks, um, like reducing my request in an effort to try to bring down the cost. So I eventually ended up getting the attendance data for free. Um, and it did show that attendance was way down, but I didn't get the performance data. So you know, I kept talking to Kelly and Stacy and others. And after the holidays, um, Kelly and Stacy suggested that I make my request and that invoice public. Um, and so I did. I put it on social media and I sent it to some of our local media. Um, once I did this, parents came out of the woodwork and were alarmed that the district would charge for the data that they should already have readily available and be using in their decision making. So um, we started to think that maybe the administration was charging such a large fee in an attempt to hide the data from the public. So within a few hours of making that invoice and my request public, over 20 families offered to help me pay the fee. So I went um, over to the district office and paid the fee. And that was a Friday afternoon. And we received the data um, a few days later, just before 10 a.m. on the morning of that January 13th board meeting, where they decided to... Um, go back to five days face-to-face. -face. So then when you brought this data to the attention of the school board, what, what was their reaction to this? So given that they've been making decisions supposedly based on this data, what, what were their comments in when, when you brought forward this data that nearly 30% of high school students are failing at least one class? Did you get the impression they were aware of this or was this kind of news to them? So like I said, we got the data like mid-morning, the day of the board meeting, and we were all busy that day, you know, with our jobs and whatever. And so we kind of went back and forth with email and text for most of the day trying to understand it. So late in the day, around 4.30, I think we had our arms around what it was telling us. Um, we were alarmed, and I think that's why it took us so long to get through it, because we were trying to, like, is it really this bad to understand that? So we sent it to the board, or I sent it to the board in an email um, around 4.30, and then we all got ready and we went to the meeting. So I didn't hear back from any of the board members before the meeting, but during the meeting, we could tell that some of them had the email printed out and in front of them. And then one of our board members, Diane Voigt, actually commented in the meeting that they were blindsided by the performance data. So this tells us, and we found out later, that the, the board members did not know about the performance data. Apparently, administration did, and they were working with the teachers to help their kids. But in my mind, the big problem was we had nine school board members making educational choices for 7,000 secondary students, and they didn't have insight into the performance data, or did they have the foresight to even ask for it? The quarter one data was available on November 5th, even before that mid-November meeting where they pushed us back into hybrid for two months. So they weren't asking, they didn't have it. And yeah, I think it was a huge surprise to, to all of the board members. So jumping back a little bit, what do you think some of the, the issues are with the virtual education that your students are struggling with? I know you said, um, Rebecca, you have a couple kids in high school that have really been struggling in particular. What, what are some of the areas is it they're not receiving enough face-to-face -face time with teachers or the limited social interaction, what do you think is the biggest problem students are facing? And you all can chime in on this. I would say uh, collectively, it's the inconsistency. Um, among the three of us, we have eight 
students, eight children, six of them in the secondary model. And um, we don't have the same experience for, for any two of our children. And as we as parents start to talk about that, it becomes not only challenging as parents to support our children, but even to set expectations or to set structure for them so that they can be successful. Um, and it, it's perfectly reasonable for us to have to invest that time and energy. We just don't always know how to guide them. Um, and as an example, for myself, having a middle school student and a high school student, um, the, the grades approach it differently, the, the principals approach it differently, and, um, and even teachers would approach it differently. Um, one of the unique things about this hybrid model, maybe it's not unique anymore, but um, all students were virtual on Mondays. And the inconsistency of the messaging about Mondays, some teachers would say this is a catch-up day. Some would say this is an active instruction day. Um, so every class period, we're having to interact with our children and say, you know, what are you supposed to do? Are you sure? Are you sure that you don't have anything? Um, and what we would find is those of our children who are high achievers, um, we would uncover that there were a handful of assignments missing or even more than a handful of assignments missing missing in many cases because they, either they didn't know um, or they, they didn't understand the importance of it. Um, and then um, for, for those of us with kids who struggled a bit, um, they didn't know how or when to ask for help and the teachers weren't always available. And so one of the initial challenges with the hybrid model is that the teachers were responsible for kids who were in class and um, learning virtually. So the children learning virtually were really given assignments and told to just take care of that. So that interaction was missing. Um, and then it, again, it was just inconsistent in are they even learning on any given day? So we were finding, and, and administration and board members were responding to us with what they expected to happen. But what we were finding with um, just the sheer number of students and teachers in the model, that it was really difficult to enforce or in, ensure that those things were really happening. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, on top of that, the technology just didn't support our students. So given, even given that the teachers were doing their best, we still had, you know, um, glitches with WebEx. So like in some of my student, my children's classes, they were on the days that they were virtual and other, their other cohort was in the classroom, um, the lesson being taught would not be retaught the next day. So if they missed any of that in the virtual model, they just missed that lesson. And so often WebEx was down or the, the sound was um, not working or the sound wasn't up in the classroom or if the teacher was presenting on a whiteboard, there might've been a reflection on the whiteboard. So as they're doing a math problem, the kids at home aren't seeing it. So there were all kinds of issues with technology uh, supporting the kids that were at home and then would they miss that lesson and how do they catch up? Yeah, I, and I'll pretty much echo what they what they are saying. You know, I, I have one high schooler and it was a struggle. She's, she's a, a good student and engaged when she's in class. But one thing I would, I would add to the conversation here is I think for kids who are virtual, that it's more intimidating to ask a question virtually um, than it is when you're in class and you maybe you see your other classmates who are like, they look confused too. So maybe it's a little easier to ask a question and you, you don't have your peers there to 
bounce ideas off of or ask questions of during work time. And so it was very isolated. And, and I'll also say the same thing Rebecca said. I, I think the teachers were in a no-win situation here because trying to keep kids virtually engaged is a really tough thing to do, especially coming from a place where you're not trained to teach virtually. Um, and I, I assume even if you are trained to teach virtually, that that's hard to keep, I, the younger they are, harder to keep them engaged virtually. And I mean, I've, I've honestly, I don't think I, I ever heard my daughter say that when she was virtual, that she reached out and asked a question in the middle of a class. That's hard for a, a young kid, I think, to right. put herself out there like that. So that was a struggle with education as well. Yeah, absolutely. So as you guys have been going through this, have you found that a lot of the parents, a lot of other parents in the district are kind of in the same consensus as you guys? You want, they want kids back in classes. Um, you know, they, they want, you know, to have this more face-to-face -face in, in-person interaction. Have you found that or has it been, you know, more split? A lot of parents want their kids to stay virtual. Um, I would say based on, I mean, we, we did three surveys in our district and it was always the majority wanted to be, have that choice. They didn't want a virtual choice taken away from anybody, but they wanted the choice for what was best for their family. And for most kids, what is best is <clears throat> being in school learning. And, um, so just based on the surveys, we feel like that was the majority. And then as we became more vocal, we started finding more and more families who wanted to, to be, you know, in this fight and uh, want to be back in school. So I, I think as a majority, they do. And we, um, recently learned too, that not very many parents, or I shouldn't say not very many, let me go back. Less parents chose the virtual option this time than they had been in the past. So I think even now, after seeing how much kids have struggled, even parents who kept their kids virtually are now seeing the importance and that it's safe for the kids to be back in school. I think there were a lot of parents a lot of parents who were kind of in the same boat that we were in. We felt like we were alone. We felt like we wanted something to be different, but we didn't know where to go or who to talk to. And a lot of people had either reached out to individual board members or to administration. Um, but as Stacy said, as, as we three kind of found each other and started to become more vocal, and there were other groups that were forming as well. Um, and we started to ask these questions and talk more about what our children needed and how they were struggling I think that's where um, we just learned more that we weren't alone and um, and the need to have the kids in school, even at the risk of having them quarantined um, was much more important than um, staying quiet. So that's where we, we really found some energy together and um, I think just started asking the right questions. Yeah, I would agree. Um... I have heard some amazing stories. A lot of people reached out after that board meeting and told me stories about how their kids were faring at home and how they're excited to get their kids back in school. Um, one of the sad things right now is all of our student athletes that wanna play their sports 
um, there are some new rules around if they're if they have a close contact, how long they have to quarantine, and then they have to actually practice before they play again. So I know a lot of our student athletes that are um, looking at athletics in their future are choosing the virtual model so they can play their sport. And what a tough position for those student athletes to be in to have to get an inferior education so they have the opportunity potentially for a college athletic scholarship. Um, even at the middle school le level, we're seeing whole teams go virtual so they can play their sport. Um, so quarantines are, are still an issue and, and going to be an issue. Hopefully we can tackle those as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that leads well into my last question for you guys is what actions do you think elected officials and the school board need to take in order to resolve the, the problems students are facing with virtual education? I know, Rebecca, when you and I chatted a few weeks ago, you said the whole quarantine issue was a, was a big problem you guys were seeing. Is there anything else that you're, you know, seeing that's, causing these barriers for students to succeed in school? I'll start with this one. Um, I think what we, we three have all kind of stumbled on collectively is that as we've reached out to people, um, elected representatives that we respect and that we value and have done some hard things for our community in the past, um, would say either that's not my territory or I'm focused on a different topic. And what we weren't seeing is that crossing over, really engaging with the um, public education systems, the health departments, the, the state, um, state level regulators. And um, what we had hoped was that there would be more of a dialogue around what's best for our community, what's best for the children in our community. Um, as the data has started to come out, we've seen more engagement and more support. Um, but what we really um, expect and what we would like to see more of is proactive activity. We'd like to see uh, collaboration between the school districts and the county health department. We'd like to see people coming to the table and not necessarily talking about what went wrong or what the current statistics are, but really talking strategically and, and um, progressively about what can we do to actually keep these healthy students and teachers in school. Um, and, and that's the part that we just think it's really taken too much time. And we've been asking, we've been, we've been communicating in ways where we can try to get these individuals into the same conversation, um, but we still get the automated replies or we get a, you know, a long delay in response. Um, we don't see that those meetings are happening, um, but the only way we're gonna get through this is if we do it as a community and not simply as a school district or simply as, you know, as a city or a village. So. Um, we, we need to see more of that collaboration and really um, uh, some innovation, trying some things uh, that are new and different based on the data that we have in front of us. Yeah, I would agree with that, Kelly. I, I also think it's important that we use the April election to ensure to seat school board members that are have some skin in the game, that understand our concerns, um, put our families, students, communities first. We, we were, we um, allowed too many people to be elected that, that don't put our students first and now we have to write that wrong. Yeah, you know, and speaking about the, the quarantines, um, those are just gonna be huge for keeping our kids in, in school and getting those under control. And, that's the fear from kids in, in school is now that they're back to five days and everybody's there, 
they are so anxious about being pulled out of class because of a close contact that um, I, my hope is that our, our board members are very proactive with this. Our administration is very proactive with this. And um, if I may talk, you know, there are lots of states in our, in the country that are not quarantining the healthy kids in close contact if everybody was wearing a mask and how wonderful that would be if, if we could move towards something like that in Waukesha and Wisconsin and, and remove that, those anxious feelings for the kids and keep them in school. Because I think we can all agree that it, it's not gonna work in our, in our schools if kids are being pulled out and having to stay home for 10 to 14 days and learn virtually because we, with the data we pulled, I mean, we know that it's not working. Kids are struggling with that model. Yeah. yeah so our school board has, has made it clear that they will not go out on the ledge and make an informed decision on their own. So there are school districts in the country like um, Sioux Falls. I think that district decided we're going to stop quarantining kids, but our school board has made it clear that they're going to follow the county policies. So that's where we need Paul Farrow and the county to look at the data and say, look, less than 1% of kids are getting sick in quarantine from that school contact. Let's stop pulling our healthy kids out of schools. Um, I have been emailing Mr. Farrow every day and the county and have not heard back. I have um, data from I think eight school districts in the county now that it's it's clear across the board less than one percent of kids are getting sick and quarantined from that school contact but I I don't know how to get their attention they're they're not responsive um, I don't even know if they're talking about it and the the quarantines and the outcomes are related when we look at the data just in Waukesha alone we've had over 6,500 quarantines um, even at a, at a 10 day quarantine, it's 12,000 weeks of school that our students have lost. It's, it's not um, remarkable that these grades are, are, um, are as bad as they are. So um, we can kind of point to what the challenge is, what the problem is for our students. And so keeping them in school, especially in the last, for the, the second half of the school year is really, really important. So this is where we need our elected officials to really step across their boundaries and work together and ensure that um, that we're doing it right. What we're finding, and I, as a parent, we've experienced uh, five quarantines within our family alone. Um, and, and in every one of them, we're asking questions. And, and I think a lot of people are afraid to ask questions, but you know, we're finding you know, rough estimates of distance, or we're finding that there wasn't a seating chart. And so they, you know, they just can't consistently uh, err on the side of caution and what we're uh, what we're asking is that they err on the side of keeping kids at school because 99% of the time that child should probably be in school. So um, we just like to kind of reframe the thinking and ask our district leaders and our county leaders to, to take a informed approach to what we're doing here and, and to do that together. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your time this morning. Um, I appreciate the work that you guys have done on this because this is a really important issue. And um, do you guys have any closing thoughts before we end the call? Well, I'd like to know if you'd help us with the quarantine issue, <laughs> getting the data 
at the state level. Yeah, that's definitely something MacGyver's been watching and paying close attention to because as we talk about in our call, it's it's really important and it is, um, you know, like you said, the, the, the data is there, the data shows um, that, you know, the kids are not catching this in vast numbers from from their classrooms, from other students and teachers. So it, it is something that MacGyver's keeping an eye on and we are we are doing some research around that. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your day and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening to this week's MacGyver Newsmakers podcast. My name is Abby Deblack. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends and family and check out MacGyverInstitute.com for all your free market updates.